Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crime Vine podcast. So, for all of you that are brand new listeners, basically, this is a podcast about all things true crime and conspiracy theories. I figured, with as much as I love true crime and not really having anybody to talk about it with on the day to day basis, why not put it into a podcast episode? So, I also want to preface that I'm probably going to do this every episode, but this is a podcast where I do give you the details and the story, but I'm also going to have discussion and it's not going to be like such an audiobook type of podcast. It's going to be more laid back and more of a discussion, kind of like you're talking to a friend about it podcast. So if you're looking for like a big audio production, like a cinematography style, then this probably is not the podcast for you. So anyway, today we have a very, very interesting case. There's a lot to this case and it's definitely going to keep you on the edge of your seat wanting to find out what is going on and what happened. But the reason why I really, one of the reasons I should say that I really do like this case is because how we found the killer was through DNA testing, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, DNA testing has come such a long way since when like we first, okay, let's, okay. The 70s, when serial killers were, it was this like serial killer era of like the United States. And I don't know if there was something in the water or what it was, but it like DNA testing was just not as good. And they had DNA samples, but they weren't able to find the person from the DNA samples. So just to like preface it with that, like DNA testing has literally come so, so far. And it's awesome because now like through all these like genealogy websites, like Ancestry and like, you know, the family trees and all that stuff, like with just your family member putting their DNA in, like it can trace it to you. And it's, it's like kind of a scary thing to think about. But at the same time, it's like, if you committed a crime, we're going to fucking catch you. Like, I'm sorry, we are going to catch you and you're not just going to be able to get away. So I'm really hoping that this DNA testing, like coming out and advancing is really going to make people think twice. Like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't commit this crime because they're going to find me. But I mean, I know that's not how all serial killers or people that commit crimes, they just don't care. They do whatever they want. That's how it works. But anyway, so let's get into this case. So this case is going to be the case on Christy Maroc. So I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with this case, but basically Christy Maroc was a woman from Pennsylvania and she was a very, very well-liked person. Like everybody always spoke so highly of her and no one ever had anything bad to say about her. Like they would literally say that she would walk into a room and light the entire room up. She just had that such charismatic energy and the most beautiful smile. And she was just genuinely such a happy and good person. And she was also the middle child of her family and her family was a very close knitted family. Now, Christy was an elementary school teacher, and on December 21st, 1992, at just 25 years old, she was found beaten and strangled to death in her apartment. So let's take it back just a little bit. So let's get to know Christy a little bit more. So going to her teenage years, there was this TV show called Dancing on Air, and this was basically just like a musical TV show for teens. And it I guess it showed people just dancing and genuinely like having a good time. Kind of like if a nightclub was filmed, but like not so dirty and 
like it was very very pg so that's kind of what the show was and christy would watch it and she really wanted to be on the show like she would watch it all the time and she actually told one of her friends named annie that she she said watch i'm gonna be up there like just you wait i'm going to be up there it's gonna happen like just wait and christy did end up going on the show and she brought along her friend annie with now they have youtube videos of her on um of this show on the show on youtube (laughs) so if you guys are interested in that like watching that just made me like really put into perspective for me like obviously i didn't know christy but um it just really put into like perspective of her personality and who she was and she really did look like the most amazing person ever like honestly she looks so happy and just seeing her have such a good time just like put me in a good mood like i don't know i i can t- i understand now why people are talking so highly of her just by seeing that video so by december of 1992 christy had moved to lancaster pennsylvania to teach Christy's one goal and dream was to be a school teacher and she achieved that goal and she began to teach sixth grade at Rostertown Elementary School and she was hired by Principal Harry Goodman. Now Principal Harry Goodman said that when he would walk into the classroom that he would get chills because Christy just had the children so captivated and that she he could tell that she really taught with her heart and she like genuinely loved what she was doing and she was really good at it. December 18th rolls around, and this is when Christy and her brother Vince go out for dinner. And sadly, Vince didn't know this at the time, but this would be the very last time that he ever saw his sister. And he explained it saying, like, you know, they exchanged their byes, I love you, like, I'll see you later. Like, genuinely believing that you're going to see them later. And he was like, it's... Nobody really knows. Nobody knows when their loved one's going to be taken from them. So it's just, like, it really, like it really hurts. And I felt that like I've lost some family members. And when you say bye, I'll see you later. And then you don't, it's just really, man, it hit home for me, but okay. So on the evening of December 20th, Christy was at home wrapping copies of a book called Miracles on Maple Hill. And she was wrapping 24 copies for each of her students. And she included a little note with each copy. That is so sweet. You guys, So people close to Christy said that she would wake up very early in the morning and that she would curl up in a blanket on the couch and she would watch some TV. Now, Christy's roommate always left first in the morning at around 7 a.m. And Christy wouldn't leave much after long after that. And she would usually be out of the house by 745 ish. Harry Goodman called Christy's apartment on the morning of December 21st about five times and he got no response. So naturally, Harry is getting very worried since Christy hasn't shown up to her class either. And this just isn't normal behavior. So Harry then ended up calling Christy's mother and asking like if he had heard from Christy or if, you know, if she's okay, if something had happened, you know, just trying to figure out what is going on now. Christy's family had no idea like what was going on. They were like, what? And so now, of course, everyone's going to get very worried. They want to know what's going on. They want to make sure she's okay. So 
Christy's mother actually gave Harry Christy's address and to go see, like, you know, if anything was okay and uh, if everything was okay, not anything, if everything was okay and to see, you know, he actually said that he genuinely thought that he was going to end up changing a tire or something of that nature, that she was probably stranded and couldn't catch a ride to work. And like when he was calling, she was probably outside by her car, not in her apartment. So as Harry's driving around, he didn't see any sign of her. And so then he pulled up into her apartment complex and he saw her car, but she wasn't anywhere near her car. And so immediately he became very, very worried because this is weird. And he just knew that something wasn't right, that something was wrong. Harry went up to her exact unit and her front door was slightly cracked open a little bit. And now this is very weird for anybody, especially Christy, because she was a very, very conscious of safety. Like safety was so important to her. So he started yelling her name to see if like maybe she would come out or, you know, maybe if she would yell and be like, oh, sorry, I'm going to come out in just a second or something like that. But he didn't get any response from her. Nothing. So he decided to walk into her apartment and to see, you know, what was going on. And he was met with a very gruesome and horrifying image of what he had seen in her living room. Christy was lying there lifeless on the floor. Now, Harry said that he never spoke about this to anybody. He never, like what he saw, he was so scarred by it and he essentially developed a little bit of PTSD. I mean, can you imagine like walking in and seeing this image, which I will explain in a second, but seeing this image of her and not knowing what you were going to walk into anyway, either. Like he thought he was going to go change a tire, but now he sees Christy in her living room on the floor, just laying there in a really bent up bad shape. I mean, I would get very like, I can't handle blood, let alone seeing a dead body. Like when I go to funerals, I like when I go to the wake, I can't even go in the same room. Like I cannot see a dead body. Like it just freaks me out. So I can't imagine not just any like dead body at one of his colleagues and in the shape that she was in was just probably extremely horrifying for him. So now Christy's family is very, very worried and they're anxiously waiting to hear back from the principal. And so her family decided to call her phone at her apartment. And finally, a man had answered and he identified himself as an, a law enforcement official. And he said that there had been an accident. So now, like, everybody in Christy's family is freaking out. Like, what is going on? What happened? Um, and Christie's body was the in such a horrible condition, like I had said earlier, that they actually told Christie's family that they probably shouldn't view her, that they should just remember her how she was because they don't want the image of what she looked like at that in that state to they didn't want that to disrupt their memories of Christy. They didn't want her family to think of her and just immediately see this gruesome image of her they wanted to remember her for who she was and like happy and charismatic and just such a good person so they advised them to probably not see her in this condition christy was strangled she was sexually assaulted her face was beaten and her jaw had actually been almost kind of like beaten in 
And she was even still wearing her coat and gloves. So they thought that this must have happened right as she was about to leave. You know, maybe as she was stepping out the front door. or So right around the time that she was getting ready to leave. Now, her living room was a mess. Well, her entire apartment was a mess. But the books that she had wrapped for her students were scattered all around the apartment. And they didn't see any... Um, like object that could have possibly been the murder weapon. Later on that they, they thought, you know, came to the conclusion that strangulation was in probably the thing that killed her, but they didn't see any like knives or any weapon of that sort. But what they did find was a random cutting board lying there and they assumed that she had grabbed this to defend herself and that the intruder got it from her and maybe used it against her. Because, I mean, why else would a cutting board be laying in the living room? Like, this is kind of out of ordinary, very out of place and a little suspicious. So, something even strange. So, investigators found a footprint on top of her doorway. So, they believed that she was held up high at some point and maybe tried kicking or something. They said that there was an obvious, like, heavy duty like she really there was a huge struggle here like she was really fighting for her life here so she probably in this event like kicked up and then her foot hit the top of the doorway and there was a footprint there and there were also scuff marks all over found on the living room foyer area I mean her apartment was just in bad shape and there was DNA samples everywhere of the intruder like the police were actually able to collect multiple samples of the murderer's DNA from the scene Unfortunately, this was in the time, this was 1992, so the DNA samples, I mean, they, the DNA testing wasn't as advanced and they weren't able to find anybody in the system. So everyone at the school is very, very worried. No one really knows what had happened and they all knew that Christy was found dead and that Harry Goodman was the one to find her, but they didn't know any other details. And her students were all very, very worried because they didn't know how to comprehend this. I mean, they're in sixth grade. They, It's really hard for anybody to comprehend the loss of somebody that they knew and somebody so dear to them. But it's also when you're in at such a young age, like sixth grade, what are you, like 10 years old, 11 years old? It's very, very difficult to comprehend what is going on. Now we're just four days away before Christmas and Christy's family found themselves planning a funeral instead of celebrating one of the should be happiest times of the year. Harry Goodman is still grieving over her loss and very frightened by how he saw Christy and he quickly found himself as a suspect in this case since he's the one to find her. Now, I don't know if you guys are avid true crime researchers like myself, but typically every true crime case or any kind of murder case or missing persons or case like this, typically the first person to find them is the first suspect automatically. It's just how the investigation works. It's just how they have to rule that person out. They have to rule every possible person out before you know, obviously they can find someone and they're not going to find anybody if they're just going to be picky. So they have, it's, it's protocol. They just have to. Now, oddly enough, police officers start their investigation and everybody wants to find out what happened to Christy. Like, how could this happen? This is such a small town. I mean, it was like an Amish run town. Like there's Amish farms everywhere. You saw a horse and buggy on the street. Like who would do this? So 
this is where things get a little strange. Now, a visitor showed up to the school where Christy worked with flowers, and he was walking towards her classroom. Now, the superintendent, Bob Wildassen, stopped this man and asked, like, hey, can I help you? What are you doing? And this man identified himself as a close friend to Christie's and that he just wanted to stop in and say hi. Now, everybody thought this was very, very suspicious because if he was truly a close friend to Christie's, then he would know what happened to her and, you know, like, not to do this like this was just very odd especially walking in with flowers like usually flowers are a sign of like yes romance but at the same time it's also like I'm sorry for your loss type thing like it's a very sympathetic thing and so that was a huge huge red flag like this wasn't a hush hush incident either this case was a this case was everywhere everybody and their mother in this area knew what happened like this it was on tv it was on the radio I mean like you name it this case was literally everywhere so he should know what had happened now so Bob then thought that this guy, like, this guy is the killer. And so he escorted him from the building and he immediately called the police. And everything takes an even weirder turn with this man. So the next day, he called Bob at his home, which is very weird. Like, how did you get the phone number? And he wondered if he could avail himself to the counseling services that the school was offering at the time for Christie's loss. Like, everybody thought this was weird. Everybody was like, okay, why would this man try to benefit at the school? Like, you, a lot of times they... Okay, so a little bit of background. A lot of times the people that usually are guilty will try to insert themselves into the investigation at some point and make themselves the victim. So they thought that, like, this man... This really could be the killer. Like, he's trying to benefit from these counseling services. Like, he's trying to, like put himself in this and say like, no, I'm really deeply saddened for her loss too. Like this was red flag number two. Push comes to shove. We find out who this man is. He turned out to be Christie's secret boyfriend and he was actually 20 years older than her and he was married. Yeah. Weird. So People really start to think like, okay, dude, guys, this is our guy. Like, we found him. Like, this is him. Because Christy wouldn't just open the front door to a stranger. Like, her family even said that she was such a stickler for safety and always aware of things, always going to the extent and, like, taking precautions. Like, when Vince, her brother, would come over, every single time he went to her apartment, he would knock and ring the doorbell every time and she would always make sure it's him before opening the door like she was a stickler for safety and it's really sad to hear because like the most safe people out there the most cautious people still end up like this and like that's so scary to think like I'm a very cautious person like I safety is huge for me and like that just goes to show like nobody is safe nobody is safe like if somebody wants to kill you they will find a way how which is really scary to think. Uh. So police ran the DNA from the crime scene through the National Law Enforcement Crime Database, but they didn't find a match. So naturally, investigators started going through everyone Chris Christie knew or had any kind of encounters with. They just had to rule everybody out. They had this huge laundry list, and they thought the suspect to be kind of like an outcast and someone that's not the life of the party, more someone who kind of just observed from the sidelines, not someone who was, you know, everybody knew who he was was. 
just a very low-key type of person. Principal Harry Goodman and Christy's secret boyfriend provided investigators with credible allies, and then they were cleared. So these two men, the investigators said, okay, they're definitely not it. These people, they have strong alibis about where their whereabouts on December 21st, the morning of. Like, they're not the guys. So the suspect list got shorter and shorter, and investigators grew very, very worried because they thought, like, they had plenty of viable suspects, and it's turning out that none of them, like, this just wasn't the case. Like, the the offender was not somebody on this list, and her friends and family were even growing scared because they didn't know if perhaps it could be someone from their friend group. I mean, Christy was such a stickler for safety. I It... She wouldn't just open up the door to anybody. So it had to be either somebody that she knew or she was walking out the door and he like shoved her in and like, you know, committed the act. So they were getting very, very worried and like kind of scared around this time. And like everybody was so on edge, like everybody just wants to know what happened to Christy and who could possibly do this to her. So we're going to fast forward to years later and still no one knows what happened to Christy, but no one wanted to give up either because they thought that if they were losing hope and giving up hope, then they were giving up on Christy and nobody wanted to do that, which is very respectful and I totally understand that. So now we're looking at about the 10th anniversary of Christy's death. Her mother was actually diagnosed with cancer, and Christy's mom knew that she wasn't going to be around much longer, so she wanted one last opportunity to go public and to teach people about her daughter. So she called a reporter and gave one last interview to be published, and before Christy's mother passed, she told her son Vince to never let this go and to find answers. Like, don't give up until we find answers. And... So no one gave up and Vince knew that like he wanted to a he wanted to do this for his mother, but B he wanted justice and for his sister like he wants to know what happened. Now we're looking at about 2007. This is 15 years after her death and her brother Vince actually paid for a billboard to keep the case alive. He said it did spark a little bit of things, but nothing concrete enough ever came from it. Nothing, you know, groundbreaking evidence or anything like that really came from it. So we're going to fast forward again. Now we're looking at 2015. The Lancaster District Attorney, Craig Stedman's office, actually took over this case. Now, by this time, it had been about 23 years since Christie's death. And with the advancements of technology and the DNA findings that they decided, you know, we're going to look into this and we're going to try this new and improved DNA testing. And basically, they re-looked at the entire case with a pair of fresh eyes. Like, they re-looked at all the evidence, all the suspects, like, everything like basically they were building this case from the ground up again they're restarting everything relaunching it and as the investigators were looking for new leads the district's attorney's office reached out to a company called Paraban Nanolabs in 2017 now Paraban has an innovative technique in which it creates a rendering of what a suspect might look like using DNA found at a crime scene and then they upload this to uh, Jed Lab and uh, they kind of like build an image and send it out to everybody as kind of like kind of like a sketch artist type thing but based on the DNA this is what the person's going to look like this is what we believe he he'll have this color eyes like this hair like very in depth and Parabon is a very credible company like they're used in a lot of different investigations like they are a very a very well-known company 
Now, the suspected killer's DNA had been found on the carpet and on her body since he had sexually assaulted her. So the sketch Parabon produced was released to the public in November of 2017 and basically saying like, hey, this is what we believe the guy looks like. Anybody know him? Anybody know someone that looks like him? I mean, the sketch did generate some tips, but... Stedman says nothing that really panned out, nothing that was concrete enough. And Vince said that he went through every single photo, every possible encounter Christy could have had that he would have known about. Like, he literally was trying everything to see if he can find a match. Like, Vince was determined, and I give him so much credit for his dedication to his sister and for really like this man will not give up like I'm sorry to the killer this was the wrong fucking family to mess with and okay a he got away for I think it was like something like 27 years but like they're gonna find you dude like they are going to find you you should be scared so now we're gonna look at someone called CC Moore now I'm gonna give you a little bit of information about her to help you better understand genetics testing now CC Moore is an investigative genetic genealogist and She became very invested in genealogy when she began researching her own family tree when it started to get big years ago. Now, um, she said that this was a different way of applying science, that it's not taught in schools and there's no degree you can get in genetic genealogy and there's no certification. Like you had to think outside the box and you needed some creativity. And she believes that she came from that creative background to, to, to be able to do this. Now, Moore, like, is a well-known genealogist scientist, and she received international recognition from for her pioneering techniques, and California authorities actually used her methods to identify a suspect in the Golden State Killer case. Although she didn't directly work on the case, it was her methods that she came up with that found this killer. So she is, that just goes to prove her credibility right there. I mean, we're looking at one of one of America's greatest serial killers. And I mean, he got away for how long this happened in the seventies and seventies, eighties around that time, I believe. And she, with her technique, she found him. So if she can do that, she can find whoever killed Christy. Like this girl, if anybody can do it, it is Cece Moore. So Vince's first reaction when he found out about the Golden State Killer case was like, yes, he was happy. But then he was like, can we do something like this for Christy? Like, Why can't, like, let's do something like this. So now they start breaking down the suspect's DNA profile. By May 2018, Moore and Parabon had partnered together and they converted unknown suspect's DNA found at the crime scene into a data file and uploaded it to GEDmatch, which is a public genealogy database designed to find genetically linked family members. And according to Moore, the suspect's DNA file matched several distant family members and so she then started to build out the family tree. Now, what Moore did is she built back to great-grandparents of each of the second cousins and then she started building forward and then she flipped the tree upside down and then she did what she called reverse genealogy. Now, she essentially built forward in time trying to find the right person and the right place with the right ancestral mix to be the suspect. Moore narrowed down her search down to a target family in Lancaster, Pennsylvania of Northern European descent. And she also noticed that the suspect also had a little bit of Puerto Rican heritage. From there, she began researching for newspaper articles from the Lancaster area that might contain any information on any of these family members. 
She said she started digging through newspaper archives and she finally came across an engagement announcement for a man who was the son of a woman from the targeted family and he was carrying her maiden name. So now, however, it listed his father who had Latin American name and she thought like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like now we're getting closer. Like we are almost there. So there was an online magazine that had an interview with him and it talked about how he loved to cook Puerto Rican food because he was half Puerto Rican. And this is where Moore was like, this is our guy. This is him. We caught him. We like we found you. After 20, about 26 or 27 years, it took more just only a couple of days to turn a face and name over to the investigators. And now the investigators had to come up with a different plan. Like, this turned out to be the biggest break of this case. Investigators knew they couldn't just walk up to this guy and be like, hey, we know who you are. Can we have some of your DNA? Like, especially... Since this guy has proven to be a very brutal individual and like he had they had to come up with a sneaky and secretive plan to get his DNA. So an undercover unit began to surveil the suspect and it trailed him and they trailed him until he threw away a water bottle and chewing gum in the garbage. Now, this is a very common way that they get um, DNA from the person that they believe to be the killer. This is how they did it with the Golden State Killer. They all they usually go through the garbage because they you can't just walk up to somebody and be like, "Hey, we're investigators. Can we have some of your DNA?" Like anybody, okay, any killer in their right mind would know, like, "Oh fuck," <laughs> like no, and then they, then they would know that the investigators are on them, and then they would possibly flee. And now they have to find this guy again. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, they have to be very, very secretive and smart about this. So the items were collected and they rushed it over to state police, uh, crime lab for DNA testing. And they were compared to the DNA found at the Christy Marat crime scene. Now the DNA came back as a match. But the man they suspected was someone authorities and Rock's family had no idea if Christy had ever even met. So everyone was shocked because this guy seemed like such a normal person. He was successful. He was a talented guy. He was a family man. He was a a youth group leader. Like this man was the picture perfect guy. Like how could this guy be the killer? Well, on June 25th, 2018, Stedman announced the arrest of 49-year-old Raymond Charles Rowe in the 1992 murder of Christy Marac. Most people in the community knew Rowe as DJ Frez, I believe they would call him, or Freeze or something like that, F-R-E-E-Z, Frez, Freeze. So a popular local wedding DJ this guy was and he was a business owner and he was a father who had been married four times and he was a regular churchgoer like he had been a fixture in Lancaster since his late teens like he first started making a name for himself as a break dancer and then in the late 90s he was the house DJ at the Chameleon Club Lancaster's nationally renowned live music rev- uh, venue And prior to Rose's arrest, his only brush with the law was a 2001 charge for disorderly conduct after he played music too loudly while DJing at the Chameleon Club. So the charges were demissed. This guy literally never got in trouble with the law. Never. 
your picture perfect guy his only run in what the law was playing music too loudly nothing harmful and now we're saying like he's this like brutal guy who brutally murdered murdered christy Morak. so you can imagine the shock of the community like these people the community were like this guy dj'd at my wedding or at like my sweet 16 or like he was just at the club last night you know like everybody was so shocked about what they were seeing and the man who had played yeah, high school dances even was now facing criminal homicide and sexual assault charges. Like, can you imagine the shock and disbelief everybody was going through? And this guy didn't, you know, he wasn't violent at all. But there was one girlfriend um, by the name of Emily Noble that had said while she was dating Roe for about a year, starting in 96, he wasn't violent, but he did become controlling and emotionally abusive. And she said that an example of his behavior was that he flew into a rage while they were out at dinner with his mother and daughter over Noble wearing socks with sandals that triggered him and set him off. But other than that, like this guy was not violent, which is so weird to me. Like what, like what caused the murder? Like what? This guy even created a group to help children steer away from violence. And the craziest part is he created this group only a few months before he brutally murdered Christy. But this group was to steer children and teens away from violence. Away from violence. But then in a few months, he's going to go and commit this crime and brutally, I mean brutally, murder her. How is that even possible? So hypocritical. Like this, you could tell this was like some facade he was putting up to make people not suspect him. And if it wasn't for DNA testing, nobody would have known it was him. Nobody. Investigators are hoping to find a connection between Christy Morak and Roe before trial. They are so certain that the DNA evidence is rock solid and that the jury will just convict him and that they are seeking the death penalty. Now, another crazy thing is they weren't sure if Christy maybe had gone to this club or like, how did she know this guy? But they did end up finding a ticket to one of the clubs that uh, Raymond DJed at. And the so they thought that maybe this was the possibility, like this was the way that maybe they crossed paths. Like that could be a huge possibility. They just they weren't sure. Now, the chances of randomly selecting an unrelated person matching this was, like, honestly, like, out of this world. Like, out of this world. DNA testing is so powerful, my friends. So, the biggest mystery that remains from this case is how did Christy know this guy? Or does he, does the family know him? Like, how do they have any relation to each other? Like, everybody wants to know how they how she knew him like she, she didn't just open up the door to anybody so she had to have known him so they were thinking that like maybe maybe it was from the chameleon club that that's how they know each other maybe they ran into each other a few times maybe they started doing like maybe a secretive thing like maybe he was a secret boyfriend like she already had one secret boyfriend before like maybe this was like a secret relationship you know flirting messing around or maybe they were just friends like we don't know nobody knows how these two have a connection and that is what they're hoping to find out in court um like this is just 
insane, like insane, just this random person. And he's not denying that he committed this crime. Like he actually ended up pleading guilty on Tuesday, January 8th, 2019. And he has life in prison without the possibility of parole with 60 plus years. And in court, Roe actually said to her family, I can't imagine what you are going through. I apologize. And he also said to Christie's father, I am sorry, sir. Like, he is acknowledging he did this. He is basically telling us, like, he's confessing. He pleaded guilty. I mean, I just don't. I don't understand. This case is honestly crazy. Like, it is crazy. It's so out there. And nobody knows. Like, I know I keep saying this, but nobody knows. Like, okay, I kind of, I I don't know. I don't know. I think that how they know each other is either from the club and that they were friends and maybe something went south. Maybe, maybe, you know, he was interested in her and she had a secret boyfriend and she wasn't telling anybody about her boyfriend. And maybe he found out about her boyfriend. And instead of going after her boyfriend, maybe he went after her. Like you, we don't know what happened. He didn't seem to be like a violent person and if you look at his images like his pictures online he doesn't seem like a violent guy like he seems like the most normal guy so it's just so crazy I can't process it it's really it's crazy like when I was reading this I was like no way what like I was expecting some creepy image of this guy like this just goes to prove that anybody could be a killer anybody can be a killer even a youth group leader and a avid churchgoer like anybody can do it and that's just so scary but I want to know how do you guys think that they knew each other what are your theories I'm interested to hear be sure to go to my Instagram at the crime vine podcast and follow me over there um tell me what you guys want to see next you can comment on one of my pictures or you can dm me on my Instagram. Let me know what you guys want to hear next. Also, be sure to whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on, please give us a review that will greatly help and it'll help boost this podcast up a little bit. And that's all I have for you guys today. My name is Felicity Brooke and I will talk to you guys in my next podcast episode.